0: Hello, and welcome to Calamity, a podcast about natural and not-so-natural disasters. In each episode, we examine a catastrophic event from world history. We are your hosts, the Kuhlman sisters. I'm Jama, I'm Jillian. And I'm Caitlin.
1: And today's Calamity is going to be the story of the deadliest day on K2. I'm
0: going that to mount one.
1: Yes. Uh K2 is the second highest mountain in the world. It's over there in the Himalaya region. It's near Everest. Um but it's actually kind of in a in a separate like wing of the Himalayas that's called the Karakoram range. Okay. Uh, located on the border between China and Pakistan.
0: Are you sure? I'm just <laughs> Hmm. Okay. So why is it K2? Like isn't it a longer name like that is No. no? Let me tell you how
1: let no. me tell you about the nomenclature. <laughs> nomenclature or nomenclature? No, the the first thing you said. <laughs> okay. So in like the turn of the century or maybe like late 1800s um there was a thing called the Great Trigonometrical Survey of British
0: India. That's an excellent name for something. That, yes. that sounds very British.
1: It is very British.
0: Some <laughs> fancy pants British scientists
1: sent some surveyors out into the wilds of Asia to uh, survey all of the mountains and, in an attempt to kind of make a map and name the mountains and, and get it all figured out because
0: the so, Indians that lived there they didn't already name the mountains.
1: Well, uh some of the some of the mountains did have names. So whenever there was an existing name, they used the existing name. Oh good. That was um good but there yeah. were some peaks that didn't have names. They were so remote that there weren't any villages that even like had them in their sightline, right? So and they weren't nobody was like The locals weren't really trying to climb these for fun. Like, it makes a nice view, but who has time? It's only the crazy tourists
0: that are actually climbing Uh these mountains. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I think you have to have a certain amount of disposable income before it even starts to become fun to do that kind of crazy. crazy. Um, In any case, uh, there was a guy named Thomas Montgomery who named it K2. He was doing a survey from another peak that was to the south, um, like, Maybe like 130, 150 miles away, and um, I don't know. You know, using triangulation and trigonometrical stuff, he mm-hmm. figured out how tall it was, and he named that he. There's two mountains that kind of sit close together. I can't remember. The, I think it's Masherbrun was the what is the mountain that sits right next to K2. Anyway, he named them K1 and K2. Uh-huh. And then there were all there was also in that area there was K three, K four, K five. Um and then as we learned what the locals called them I, I don't know why I said we as they learned what the <laughs> locals called them, they would change they would cross them out. So there aren't
0: so K two is the only one that didn't have a name. Oh so okay. it's just a number. And we couldn't have taken just like a minute to find a better name or to like have a <laughs> contest and you know, you know, good, huh? it,
1: just, it just stuck. You know, it's really the, uh, somebody did try to, to name it the the Savage Mountain, but that's a little too like Victorian frou-frou for me.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. But I it is, ask... you
1: will sometimes see it referred to as the Savage Mountain.
0: <laughs> if you don't mind, I do want to mention that already I'm getting flashbacks from the 19, I want to say, 90s film Man Who Walked Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain featuring
1: Hugh Brant.
0: Grant, thank you. Um, so if anyone wants to learn how one goes about measuring the height of a mountain based on other mountain heights, uh-huh. you should look up that movie. I feel like I'm going <laughs> to maybe okay. watch that over, over Christmas break. <laughs> <laughs> I've not thought about that movie in 100 years. No, <laughs> this.
1: I've definitely not seen it on Netflix or anywhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no. It hasn't Probably come for up. For a good reason. <laughs> I don't know. I think you guys really liked it. I don't I don't know
1: that I saw the whole thing.
0: I saw it multiple times.
1: <laughs> All right. So, K2, second tallest mountain in the world, but it's it's probably the hardest mountain to climb in the whole world. Wow. Um and so Everest is really tall and there's some challenges um, when you're up that high, of course, the, the biggest challenge is just dealing with lack of oxygen and all the things that does to your body and how tired you are because you've been walking uphill.
0: But mm-hmm.
1: uh, but beyond that, Everest isn't. I mean, people die on Everest too. But but uh, K2 has worse weather, worse inclement weather, um, more unpredictable weather. It has a um, a pretty short. Uh, window for hiking. Um, Generally, it's June through August, but that doesn't mean you can hike all those three months. It means you get to base camp in June, and then you wait for a window. Uh And while you're waiting for that window, you and all the other teams are, and Sherpas and whatever else, are, are setting up ropes and routes and doing smaller a sense to acclimatize and all that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So usually it takes about two months to climb K2, even though it really only takes a day to climb it. Hence it's only people who
0: don't have jobs. But... Definitely. <laughs> well, it's do like that Definitely.
1: You have to get a permit from Pakistan and you have to, if you've got a higher unless you're going unassisted which you've got to be really good mountaineer to even think about doing that um then you have to hire a sherpa and they're like $20,000 each so and you you might need as many as two kind of depends most people go up in teams not individually so yeah um let's see K1 K2 okay what else highest point okay so, has um, more inclement weather than Everest. Uh, it also has a greater height from base to peak. Um, does that make sense? Like from the base camp mm-hmm. to the top is higher, yeah. even though Everest sticks out of the earth further.
0: <laughs> yep, I'm with you. Oh, now,
1: let me give you the the evala- <laughs> elevations. Uh K2 is twenty eight thousand two hundred fifty one feet. That's 28251. Everest is 29,029 feet. 29029. So, um, it, yeah, it's a difference of, of, what is that, a little less than 1,000 feet. Not that big of a deal. When you're at the top of K2, um, I've been watching some footage and pictures. It, it it looks like you're on the top of the world, just like it does when you're on the top of Everest. So, Okay, I've been on um, I've been i mean, on
0: mountains that aren't that high that still feel like you're on top yeah. of the world.
1: Yeah, because the way the the world is with it being round and such, right? I think. Yeah,
0: no. you're on a round tall spot. Yeah.
1: In fact, the reason that K two is named K two is because the when the guy was measuring them from the mountain that he was standing on, K one looked like the taller of the two, but it was just oh. a perspective issue, and mm-hmm. so he put that one as K one and this
0: one is k2 because it was the
1: shorter but it's not the shorter not by so a there's long. like
0: a thousand foot difference between everest and this one and then there's just another mountain right next to it that's probably just a thousand feet less than k2 is really yeah i but we have to, to have we have to climb, to climb the yeah. most dangerous one that's the one that we have to climb well i mean everybody
1: climbs everest these days that's so blase so yeah. <laughs> And I'm over it. That's so 1990s. And <laughs> um, and K2 is only for the real mountaineers. You know, because it's so dangerous. So it's um. One thing is it's is it's a consistently steep. Does pyramid. anybody
0: cl- climb K1?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay,
1: that mountain is called Masherbrum. Oh yeah, you said that earlier. <laughs> yeah, people have have climbed that one. They've climbed everything, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, so K2 is a consistently steep pyramid, which is another difference from Everest, because Everest is – it's got, like, this ridge that goes up to it, and it's kind of wonky-shaped. And when you look at pictures of Everest from the base camp the, – from the base camp's like, it, yeah, it's a tallish mountain, but there's so many other tall things around it once you're up close to it. Um, it doesn't really have this big imposing thing like Mount Rainier or Mount Fuji or you know these mountains that have like that really are, are way high above the things that are nearby. Like no comparison nearby. No, no. Com- well, of course it has it has some other tall mountains, but um, but its its sides go all the way down to like the valleys below.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's not connected to the other mountains that are close to it. I gotcha. I don't think I'm explaining this very well. I think you (laughs) are. I'm going to apologize to all of our listeners. Okay, Um, here's how dangerous it is: Um, one person dies for every four who reach the summit. Those aren't good odds. No, those are bad odds. Yeah. Um, Of course, most people who try to summit don't. Um, So that's just looking at this. Cat is on my notes again. will sit right on the... Okay. Um, paper.
0: That's where she wants to be. I know. Here. Look, here's some. Sit on my grocery list. Give her... Yeah, I was going to say, give her a decoy. <laughs> <to> sit on. <laughs> very important grocery list. Very yeah. important. Sit over on the very important grocery list that I need to read. Don't sit on things you need to read.
1: That's right. She wants to sit on this one right in front of me. Okay. So
0: people started
1: attempting to climb K2... Um, in the early 1900s, I want to say maybe 1908, 1906, somewhere there. JMA, you might have the number in front of you if you're looking at Wikipedia, but um, those were just attempts. They weren't successful for a long time. Um, the very first ascent of K2 wasn't until 1954. There was a, a pair of Italian mountaineers who managed to make it to the top, one thing that they figured out is that there's like on Everest there's a whole bunch of different routes to the top. In fact, you can even start on completely different faces of the mountain. But on on K2, I mean in all those years they were trying to get to the top, they were like looking for a good route and um and they couldn't find one. There's the route that they finally used is one that they had found and and discarded as too dangerous. Um but then finally somebody was like, well, there's no other way up. We're going to have to go up this dangerous spot. And that that is called um that is called the bottleneck. That's the name of that dangerous section that you have to climb in order to I mean, the rest of the hike is dangerous too just cuz of weather and how steep it is and stuff, but and the elevation, but this when I tell you what it's like to go through the bottleneck, it scares the crap out of me. Uh, well, and I, I've seen some pictures and video of it now, and its I'm just like, I would not walk there. <laughs>
0: so, um,
1: what else? Just about the mountain. Do, do, do. Okay. Um, this number is, unfortunately, um, I think a year old. It's from 2018. I don't know if anyone or how many people may have summited in... Well, yeah, people I think definitely did summit in 2019, but um, 367 as of last year had completed the ascent, and 86 had died. Wow,
0: yeah. So what are the numbers for easy. Everest? Did you say um, you, I, I should have those. A lot, airs, I, a lot more people happen. climb Everest, right? Like just lots and oh, lots yeah. more. Yes. But you said only, what did you just say? 300?
1: 367. Total since the 50s.
0: Yes. Wow. Wow. Yep.
1: Okay, let's see. What shall I tell you now? Okay, the season for climbing is June through August. And in 2008, which is the year this happened, uh there was bad weather for that whole window um so normally you know you might have your team of mountaineers and you'll go out there and you'll you'll acclimatize and you'll stay at base camp for a while and then as soon as you get a window of good weather then you just go for it and then you're done mm-hmm.
0: um or exactly. you know
1: if you get turned back I guess you technically could try to get better at base camp and make it a second attempt. But I don't think that happens very often because um, usually you're pretty wiped out <laughs> from your yeah. first attempt, whether you make it or not. So, um, so what happened this particular year, one of the first things that went wrong is everyone had been hanging out at base camp for like two months straight and they were tired of being there. I mean, it sounds like base camp is kind of fun, you've got mm-hmm. people from all over the world and so you make friends from you know all these different teams because the teams are usually um like a specific country like there like on this particular day there was a norwegian team a american team french team a serbian team and a south korean team hmm. plus um there was one independent team that was like put together by some big brand mountaineering brand i think norit is i think what it's called um so they were all kind of sponsored they sponsored a team of international people Mm -hmm. but um so all those people were hanging out together at base camp for several months and most of them were actually some teams had already left like they were like okay it's it's july 30th we're we're done we're getting out of here um but that was basically when there was suddenly a, a little weather window um it was going to be bright and clear and sunny for the first time in months and months and months so everyone wanted to go up all at once whereas normally you'd spread it out a little more so they they um once they all started talking about this window and they all wanted to go they got together Uh, all the different teams from everywhere got together and decided that the safest way to do it was to kind of try to be one big team because otherwise they, they don't want to be competing or running over each other or anything like that. They could organize their supplies better, set the lines better um, and you know, make sure that everyone gets a chance to get up there better if they work all together. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that sounds like a good plan. And I think um, I mean, everyone, everyone kind of has a different story about what happened, but there was certainly a little bit of maybe, well, so-and-so didn't do the job they said they do. Like, they were assigned this task, and they didn't do it, and that made us late, and then, or, you That know. totally sounds so, so like people, of- people,
0: like, you know, living together in a community for several yeah. months, and they've gotten on each other's nerves, but also that there's, like, not a formal... Form of like leadership and yep. governance. Not that you always have to have that necessarily, but I think that, I don't know. I could just, no, you're, I think you're the absolutely right. of Lord, the, Lord of the Flies or like just kind of, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> well, not that bad. I know. But, but you know, people just making decisions. But yeah. Anyway.
1: A well, lot of blame I think to go around.
0: Probably a little bit of cultural
1: conflict too. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. if you don't understand where someone's coming from. You might uh-huh. assume someone is being lazy or something when actually yeah. they just have a different way of doing things and right. you're not understanding. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of the Sherpas can speak multiple languages. Um, and I suppose some of the international climbers are, are probably multilingual too. But in some cases, you know, you have to talk through several people before you're yeah. communicated with everyone who needs to know. Mm-hmm. Um so there were definitely – there was at least one guy on the team who didn't speak any English at all. Um, and he – yeah, he, and that it ended up being a little bit of trouble for him because when he radioed for help, he couldn't – he wasn't easily understood. It took him yeah. a while to get somebody on the other end of the radio who knew what language he was speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's see. All right. So I talked about the teams. In addition to the teams from the different countries, each team uh, also, of course, has um, Sherpas from Nepal. Um, and Sherpas are, um, I mean, it's that's a specific sort of um, tribe. But, like, we use the word, and here in the West we use the word really loosely, um, which I think is okay. I don't think it's been considered disrespectful. Like we almost use it for any, ca- anyone who carries things, um, including like products that will help you carry things. Like there's like a baby Sherpa, which is like some thing you sling mm-hmm. on yourself to help you carry your baby. And there's all these, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yep. So, uh, but that said, it is a very specific like group of people in uh Nepal and Pakistan and kind of this area of the Himalayas. Who and have their, their
0: tribe history. is called Sherpa?
1: Yes. Okay. And in fact, uh it's part of each of their names. So if you look at them hmm. if you look at like a list of of Sherpas who or people who went on this trip, a whole bunch of them will be called you know, Pasong Sherpa and hmm. Cheering Sherpa and or Sherpa and like 'cause it's their last name is their tribe name. Okay, so um, that gets a little confusing once you're out in the global world, but it it worked for them in their little small villages. Right. Yeah. Um, Which was, I mean, up until this just this last century, that's what that that was their life. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: There wasn't that much contact with the outside world in these high altitude villages. Um, Anyway, they it's dangerous for them as well, but my God, they're good at what they do. And most, I mean, the Sherpas, they climb and summit like way more than everybody else. Like there's, there's right. like one Australia guy who I think has summited a bunch of times, maybe, or maybe that's on Everest. But for the most part, if you've got someone who's done multiple summits, it's going to be a local person who's
0: mm-hmm. who's
1: carrying your gear for you, mm-hmm. in addition to having to go through all the same. Well, and they're going they're through. also
0: they're they're like guides too, right? Like it's not just carrying yeah. your stuff, but they're also like they yes, know the way although, better.
1: Um, yes, some of them will know the way. There's there's definitely some on this trip where it was their first time up this up the oh, mountain. Okay. Um, they have maybe um, been guides on other mountains, but not this one. Which I think that, that probably happens a lot on K two because it's such a hard mountain to climb there's a very yeah. small number of people who have actually summited it right um, so if do you want to find that's been uh been up do before the rich people
0: uh, carry some of their own stuff too i mean no okay <laughs> <laughs> <Just wondering. laughs> i have wondering like no I backpack
1: mean, <laughs> not really um, honestly it's not like backcountry hiking; they're not carrying right. giant packs. It's like just, at least
0: for the summit, supplies. I mean, and,
1: yeah. yeah, there's like a ton of heavy stuff to carry into the different base camps. Right. But, yeah. uh, and the, and a lot of the Sherpas, in addition to the Sherpas, there's a group of a separate group of people that are mostly of Pakistani descent that are called um, high altitude porters. Oh okay. And they, as far as I can tell, are about the same. Thing, but except that they are specifically there for carrying things, they're not considered guides. Okay. I don't think so. That and the fact that they're pretty much always of different different nationalities, mm-hmm. just how it works. But yeah, those those people generally carry anything extra. But when you're take when you're just going from like camp four, because you've got base camp, camp one, two, three, and four, and then the summit. Uh huh. Um. And when you're at camp four, you don't, like, you're just going up and back. You certainly would carry some survival things, but not a lot. Like, you're Mm -hmm. not, you don't need to carry a whole bunch of stuff. And you don't want to carry anything more than you need. And most of what you need is going to, like, have to fit into the pockets of your parka,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, your fancy,
0: fancy cold weather gear. Do you have? Um, I mean, I'm sure you'll probably talk about this a little bit, but um, oxygen tanks on, though? Uh, some people do, and some people don't. So you
1: you can survive without oh, I'm bragging,
0: it's super, right? There, there. Dangerous.
1: It, that's exactly what it is. It's yeah. like I'm a purist mountaineer. Yep. I yep. always <laughs> without oxygen, as though. Oxygen, bringing oxygen, I want to do the most somehow. dangerous
0: thing in the most dangerous way.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're in so much danger. And when you have so little oxygen, you cannot make good decisions. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. it is yeah. so hard for, I mean, people go a little crazy on the hike all the time because they are not, <laughs> they're not able to think straight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's bad. Um but yeah, so some people will have oxygen, they'll carry um a few tanks of oxygen for themselves. Their sherpa might carry a few extra tanks. And um and that is essential really. Especially mm-hmm. the sherpas too, they'll they'll be extra tanks at the different base camps which are kind of used for rescue efforts if you need to send someone up again.
0: Mm-hmm. Cuz
1: on a rescue mission it doesn't matter so much right. that you're pure. white. take not your oxygen. Yeah. Plus, you might need to give someone oxygen once you get up there and find them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that definitely has happened where someone was revived just by giving them a little oxygen. Oh, wow. Um, there's so little oxygen up there. It's crazy. I can't wrap my mind around the idea of not of going anywhere where you can't breathe. Does not sound good to me? Especially if I'm going to have to do exercise once I get there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm no, sure. thank you.
1: Okay. So, all right, we're at we're at the window. We've got our teams. They're for, they've formed into one big happy team and they make it up to camp 4. And now um they there's tents there, and they uh sleep a little bit well, some of them do the there's an advanced team that is just um a handful of sherpas and high altitude porters that go up like they start up like before midnight they're gonna start heading up the trail, and the intention is that they whenever whenever needed they will install um ropes. Uh, as they go, so that by the time that the hike the other mountaineers get to there, then they can clip onto the ropes for safety, so that uh-huh. advanced team they're really good at this, and the ropes are attached they they have these big ice screws that they like spiral into the ice um cool. which they do, they can do that by hand, and then you connect the rope to that and one of the things that goes wrong right away is. Um, uh, the team, when they're about to start out they're the leader of the advanced team, the super advanced guy, and the only one on that team who had summited before this particular mountain, the other guys were great and had summited other giant mountains, but hadn't done this particular one. Um, but anyway, the leader got sick, um, like really pretty bad altitude sickness and he had to be taken down, um to base camp like right away like he was like in need of medical attention sick and so um that threw everything off <laughs> pretty badly <laughs> uh so the advance team they put ropes up um like they started too soon like basically they as the mountaineers got up around 3 a.m to start their hike they um they were only you know 100, 300 feet out of camp when they start to see that the ropes are established. But it's not really steep enough or dangerous enough to have necessarily needed the ropes there. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's safer to have ropes than not to have them. But then what happens is when they get to the really dangerous part, which is called the bottleneck, then they don't. Then they run out of rope.
0: Okay, so there's and... like a finite amount of supplies, and they've used, them, squandered them too early. Yes. And then nobody nobody brought any additional rope
1: because they'd had this great team plan where they had pre agreed that they would have like seven hundred feet of rope I mean it was seven thousand feet of rope. That makes more sense. Um like mm-hmm. they were bringing they had planned for as much as they thought they would need and the mm-hmm. team was supposed to take that. But then the what they ended up having to do is cut the rope from down below and then bring it with them up top. to to string the ropes, So they had to do that kind of in sections. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it, it was obnoxious and it slowed them down. Yeah. And so you want to get to the summit um, early enough that you can descend in the daylight Mm -hmm. and you want to uh, at the very least want to descend the dangerous part, which is the bottleneck. You want to descend that part in the daylight even if after that, because everyone's got a headlamp with them. Because, um, you know, you start at 3 in the morning. But, mm-hmm. you know, part of the mountain is just walking up a steep hill. That's not mm-hmm. so hard. But this, um, let me tell you a little bit about the bottleneck. It is a very steep couloir. Couloir? couloir? I think it's French. I'm pretty sure it's French. Uh, I, It's couloir or couloir. It's c o U L O I R. And what that means is like a narrow we've cool definitely year. seen this on different mountains. Cool. Coolier. Cool you're just guessing.
0: You have no I idea. I am I am, but you know never heard this before before. Caitlin, <laughs> Caitlin, do you remember when we were at um we were at Sheelite Lake and Dad climbed up that chute? Yeah. That was a coolier. That's, that's a cool air. <laughs> or however. So it's a
1: narrow it's like a narrow kind of canyon or valley or ditch uh that has steep sides. Yeah. I remember. That. Of
0: it. Yeah. It's it's a narrow gully with the steep gradient.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Narrow and steep. And yeah. this particular one is especially dangerous because it's overhung by these things called seracs. Now these things are terrifying. I didn't know their existence until I until today. Um but ciracs are um these where did I write it down? They're um where did I write
0: it down? Well, Wikipedia says that they are a block or a column of glacial ice. Yeah. Yes. And they're formed by intersecting crevasses on the glacier, yes. and they're commonly house-sized or larger. Yeah, um, because they can topple over with very little warning.
1: Exactly. So there are these huge columns of ice that are they're, they're irregular. Um, I mean, they look kind of they look intimidating and scary, and they kind of overhang a little bit. So you're walking up this steep, narrow spot. And on either side of you are these, like, really big, not very stable chunks of ice that could fall at any moment. And they're leaning ominously slightly over the trail.
0: The picture I'm looking at makes it, I mean, they look like mountain peaks. They just, they look like big razor razor sharp mountain peaks. Yeah. I'm just, like, imagining that, like, up above me as I'm, like, trying to go up this chute. Yeah, that, that's what I needed help understanding. So I've got this very steep goalie that I'm walking up, and then at the top of that, there's something that comes out. Not at the top so much, it's alongside all the way up. Okay. Yeah, so, so if it's up in front of you and you're, like, climbing up this way, they're on either side of you, like, leaning, kind of leaning over the chute that you're walking okay. up. I got gotcha. you. That sounds super scary. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so how they do, there's a very high risk of falling ice and of avalanches in that section. And so the way that they try to stay safe through this, besides, well, using ropes because it's so steep and, and rough, but um, they try to, the, the idea is to go as fast as you possibly can through the bottleneck. So then you're mm-hmm. minimizing the amount of time that you're in that dangerous zone. Um, they, it's like the worst possible situation. That Like that's exactly the when they're running out of rope, they're running out of steam. They've got to go even slower to get the rope up how, there. How
0: many of them, how many are there?
1: Five people who took off in this group. On Most this group. The team. Okay,
0: right. So it's not the big group down below, this is just the advanced team.
1: No, sorry, this is everyone now.
0: Oh, so the advanced team is very small.
1: <clears throat> sorry, I didn't explain that very well. The, the advanced team started out just before midnight. And uh, Came no,
0: my, master- what it out. The
1: other. What? <laughs>
0: Jama was making background noises. I scolded it oh. for you.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Jemma, this is a podcast. We're trying I'm to sorry. record. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> My
0: pop filter. <center. laughs> Out of
1: control. Um. So, yeah, the, the, the Mountaineers, the rest of the Mountaineers uh, took off at about three, but they all caught up together. I mean, they what ended is- up in this kind of. And there's only five of them. Twenty-five.
0: 25. Oh, I missed that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I thought I heard
1: five too. Oh, I'm sorry. 25. Okay. And one of the things that happens, um, well, first of all, I want you to imagine that it's this beautiful, beautiful, clear blue sky day. Sun is shining bright. The snow is massively bright. Like in fact, one of the guys ends up almost getting snow blindness later in the day because it's so bright.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's beautiful white, beautiful blue sky. The pictures are just amazing. So, they, I mean, they really did have a weather window um, that was just out of this world. So uh, they're connected to the rope. They're heading up the bottleneck. And um, they, one of the climbers needs to pass a some oxygen an oxygen tank up to someone who's ahead of them on the trail and they're kind of in single file line Mm -hmm. um and so uh let's see his this guy's name is dren mendic he's from serbia he's on the serbian team and this is around eight in the morning so the sun is up it's beautiful but so uh Everyone is, like, in pretty good spirits in spite of the fact they're going kind of slow here. But he unclips from the rope because he's he's going to pass around someone. Um, Cecilia Skog from Norway. So she stays clipped to the rope. But He unclips to, like, step around her. And mm-hmm. he loses his balance. And he knocks her down. Um, but she's clipped to the rope, so she's fine. She just slides until... Just like maybe six feet or so, but he um loses his balance, and he falls um, and this is it's just so steep, so he fell um they think about three hundred and thirty feet wow. and um and then initially they um. You know, I mean, first of all, like that's just insane that, that that just happened. Everyone is like, "Whoa, what just happened?" But, um, they're looking down and he he stands up and waves, so whoa, he survived the slide um but then, and that nobody can quite see what happened or how it happened, but then he slides further down. Mm. um, but the Serbian team um they decide that they're gonna go after him. So they're basically saying, okay, we're not going to make the summit. We'd rather go down and help out this guy if he's still alive. It seemed like maybe he was when he stood up. We don't know, though. We can't see him anymore. Um, and I think the guys from base camp, there was some people who were trying to get up from base camp as well. To, they were radioed. Um, yeah. So some, not base camp, uh, but camp four. Right. Um, where they had started that morning. Um, so there were some folks there who were going to try and make it, uh, make it up. In fact, it was, it was a pair of Irish climbers who had already, um, like before they even got to the bottleneck, they had decided they weren't going to make it that day. Mm -hmm. Um, it just wasn't the day for them. They were going too slow. They were, they had fallen behind the group and they just thought it's not safe. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, it's
1: unfortunate, but we've got to turn around. So they were the ones who climbed then back up to try and find this guy. And the Serbian team was going to climb down and look for him. And there was a... And they all um, have radios
0: to tell each other what they're doing, that they knew which direction they were going? Not everyone has a radio. Okay, that's my first thing. Everyone should have a radio. The guys who fell down, you have one.
1: A few people have a sat phone, too. But, again, if you, you know, not everyone can afford a sat phone. So, satellite phone.
0: Yeah.
1: So... It's kind of whatever you can afford to bring if it's part of your personal gear. No one's going to provide you with a radio. Sure. Um, so, and I would say generally in in any team, there's probably one radio. And that's helpful unless the person who falls has the radio. Yeah. Um, I'm not. But, not yeah, so favor- there, were, there were still several radios
0: up, up on the mountain
1: because oh, there were good. several Just on the team.
0: That's good. Yeah. Just think if you're going to risk your life like this, you'd invest in a radio. Exactly. Everyone everyone should invest in a radio.
1: You know what? I think that that there's a part of climbing a mountain like this where it's so dangerous and so many people die. Rescue isn't really a thing.
0: Do no. you know? Yeah, like I mean, They do I,
1: try and help each other out and find each other
0: yeah.
1: to a certain extent when things get rough, but... Um, it's kind of expected that you're on your own if you. Yeah, that's true. You're doing you it without it. Yeah, You have
0: to, that's you know,
1: use your own wits and your own. Attempting. So, I mean, I'm with you. I, I mean, I wouldn't do this, but if I had to do it, <laughs> I would do it with her. a radio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, in addition to the Serbian crew going down, there is a guy named um, Jehan Beg b a i g i'm sure i'm pronouncing his name wrong, but he is one of he's either um from Nepal or pakistan he's he's one of the sherpas or the no actually he's a high altitude porter that's what he is and he was uh he's kind of finished up what he what he was supposed to do for the day, so i mean he would at that point have the option of continuing up and summiting just for his own personal Whatever, but he didn't have to like he he everything he needed to carry he'd already carried and had, had fulfilled what he needed to do, so he he decided to go down with the team um, Serbian team he kind of seemed to be suffer- as they started down um well first of all, they get there and they find out that he that the um that dren mandix the guy who had fallen uh he was dead. Aww. So they decide, and this is another kind of questionable decision, the Serbian team decides that they want to take his body down mm-hmm. the mountain, which um, that's really not its not against any particular law, but it's generally against the rules of high-altitude mountaineering because you're endangering yourself by trying to take this dead weight down.
0: Well, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah, it's kind of so understood most that most of the time if you die on the body is to stay there.
1: Yeah. Uh, but they wanted to take him down at least to camp four to give him a little burial and so they'd know where, he, you know. It's what they wanted to do. So they kind of wrapped him up and then they had him, they kind of strung some ropes around. There was, there was was This was a group of about four or five people and they were all kind of trying to, they were all kind of clipped together and clipped to the corpse and they're trying to Kind of get walk down this steep mountain uh, with the corpse kind of dangling below them, and the um, this high altitude porter guy. He seemed to have been suffering from high altitude sickness because at some point he starts like abseiling down, like instead of like trying to take a careful step, 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 he's like letting letting his heels like slide, like he's having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just dangerous. And so at some point he does, um, he slips and they're all roped together. So um, like everyone else is, is going to, the whole group is going to go. Um, and so they're yelling at him to, to unclip from the rope, which is like, that's what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. in that situation. And then he's got his ice axe so he can arrest himself or he can arrest with the ice axe and then, unclip but in some way um that's what you should do in that situation well he he does eventually they have to yell at him for kind of a while but while they're like straining to stay on the mountain and he does eventually unclip um and he i mean it's so steep there's as soon as he unclips he's just flying down the mountain um but he makes no attempt at all to self-arrest and, um, he has plenty of like space to do that before he reaches like the edge of a cliff, but he doesn't even try. He just slides right off the cliff wow. now there's two people dead on the ascent. Mhm, okay, I mean, this guy technically was descending, but on the first the first day anyway, okay, the other the rest of the Serbian team decides it's too dangerous,
0: Wait, wait, to... wait, wait him. yes. <laughs> Are you gonna tell us whether they the dead team got back to the camp for that day or is that part of the story later?
1: The dead team. You mean the Serbian team? So
0: the reference right right with, with the dead guy. Yeah. Yeah. They
1: decide at that point after um after that happens that they're really being kinda of dumb trying to safely get this corpse down so they leave him I mean they had moved him a little ways, but yeah. they where he is, and then they continue their the way down. So they do get down safely.
0: Okay,
1: and they are back. Um, okay. So usually you want to reach the summit no later than three, maybe five p.m. at the very latest. This group was late, and so they were get they were up there around like eight p.m.
0: This is like maybe the twenty or so people that are left. So
1: there are going up. I'm sorry. They they're might have been a couple others who have turned back that I didn't mention because they weren't important. So, oh, anyone right. have turned back. Okay. So how many made, how many are there now that are almost at the summit? Or there are 18 people who summited. And then there's one guy who almost summited, but he decided he couldn't make it, but he he didn't start heading down. He's he sat next to the trail and waited for um his he was with his wife, and so um he waited uh for that for her to summit and come back down because they were real close um so there were 19 people still on the mountain okay 18 summited. it was beautiful there's lots of pictures um everyone was very happy Uh, but it was late in the day and the light was i mean the sun was setting i mean you're at the top of the world so there's light for a long time but I mean, you're not going to be in the shadow for any, for any reason. There's some really fantastic pictures of, you know how, Jemma, you like to take pictures of like a shadow of like a church tower when you've climbed mm-hmm. to the top. top yeah. Top. Um, well, they've got, somebody took a, this amazing picture of the shadow of the mountain and it's this like perfect pyramid. And because the light is so low behind the mountain and so that the pyramid, you know how a shadow stretched longer if the light. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's like all the way into like, like way into China, like wow. it far. It's a really cool picture. Hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, they stay up there too long. They. Sh- that's the other another thing, which I think is something that tends to happen fairly frequently with this kind of um, uh, climbing, because you are so excited to get up there and you are supposed to just like quickly take some pictures and head back down cuz it's dangerous but um you're giddy and you're lightheaded and you're not thinking straight and so eventually one of the sherpas like corrals everyone and is like okay let's let's everyone head down mhm uh and at this point they are a little bit they get a little a little more scattered than they were before cause on the way up because they were so clustered. They were sort of all together as a group. But on the way down, um, people are moving at different speeds. I mean, they do make an attempt um, at the beginning to just, like, rope everyone together in one big line, but that quickly falls apart because some people need to t- want to take a break or um, are just going at different speeds or whatever. So they end up abandoning that plan. So going down is usually more dangerous than going up and that's true of any mountain. Um, and it's partly because you're so tired. It's also because going down is just kind of hard on you. Um, when you're climbing up a mountain, you're like facing towards the mountain face and when you're climbing down, it's just dropping away below you. Yeah.
0: I, Pat and I would just went on a hike, I think last, um, I think last month and it was, Weirdly, a hike where you go down first, um, and then the return trip is up. We went hike down into uh, a, a waterfall that was like on the side of a mountain, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, like, you drove up to the top of the mountain and you hiked down to the waterfall and then you hiked back up. And I was so much more comfortable, uh, going up because I was like, Hey, if I fall, I'm gonna fall like with my hands outstretched. <laughs> so, that's one thing, yeah. Um, but I just have so much more control with my feet and my hands um, versus there's the position where you're like leaning back and digging your heels in. It's so uncomfortable.
1: That's it. Exactly.
0: So that said, it is supposed to be
1: pretty easy to get down in that you just, I mean, the ropes are all established because you did all that work in the morning and Mm -hmm. all you have to do is hold on to the rope and just step, step, step until you get down. Yeah. Um, it's steep, and you're tired, but ideally that should work um unfortunately, um, they get to a spot at the top of the bottleneck, and some of the climbers I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but some of the climbers realize that the the rope is just gone. Mm. It's just not there anymore, and they're not sure. Like, are they lost? Because now it's getting dark too, so they're kind of disoriented in the mm-hmm. in the dark. And um, what had happened is that there were these three climbers. Um, they were fr- they were from Norway: L- uh, Lars Nessa, Cecilia Skog, and Rolf Bay. Uh, they were going together, and Cecilia it might be Cecily, but I think it's Cecilia. Uh Cecilia and Rolf were married. Um they had just gotten married, I think. And uh, there's uh Sarak, one of those scary things. Uh it falls oh. and it takes out Rolf completely. And and what, so it takes him out, and it it um, all the fixed lines are ripped out as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lars and the C- Cecilia are are fine. I mean, absolutely alarmed because their friend and husband just disappeared, uh, and all the ropes as well. Um, however, they uh, Lars and Cecilia continue moving. I mean, they're freaked out, but they continue moving down, and yeah. they get safely to base camp. Um, so that's what had happened to the the lines. Everyone else up above isn't sure. So there's mm-hmm. two different ways they handle it. There's a few people who are like, well, it's too dangerous to go down the bottleneck. We're not even sure we're at the bottleneck. We need to wait for light. So they're going to bivouac, which um, just means like... Hang out. Really, it just means sit down and wait it out, because uh, you they don't they're not supposed to sleep. They're in the death zone. They're still above eight thousand eight thousand meters.
0: Oh,
1: and um, you're not well, supposed well, to sleep. Time
0: to wait it out.
1: Yeah, and it's not good for you to stay up there.
0: And wouldn't um, you, is- however,
1: there's another group of people who are. Especially some of the more experienced climbers, they decide it's too dangerous not to keep going, so they go down and they're doing what basically what's called a free solo. If you don't have any lines and you're not connected to anyone else, because um, there's no extra rope, so they can't rope to each other like a team normally would. Um, it's called a free solo, which is a really dangerous way to do it. But they're like, we just we've got to get through the bottleneck so that we're safe and that gets them down and out of the death zone as well. And there's at least one guy, the guy I was talking about who was going snow blind. um, Uh He, he was losing his eyesight really quickly and he knew Uh like he, he couldn't, he just couldn't stay up there another night. Like he would be blind the next day. So Uh with the little eyesight he had left, he decided to head down. Um, And now it's a little, it's also harder to get down now because that, that big thing had fallen across their route, so there's chunks of ice and stuff scattered around, so it's it's more technical uh-huh. and uh, let's see Doo-doo-doo. three Sherpas descended safely and made it to camp Four Hooray! Um, Let's see. there's a couple Korean team members who made it down with Sherpa assistance, okay, um. I think that was a man and a woman. There's a French climber whose name I definitely can't pronounce. He is seen, but he was climbing down by himself, and a few others um, from different groups see him fall. Um, like they see a, they see someone fall. It wasn't until kind of later, when everyone's putting their stories together, that they figure out that that must have been this French guy, and that must be when he when he Died because
0: mm-hmm.
1: he never is seen again. Um, so at this point, there's still eight people alive above the traverse, and there are some rescue efforts starting from Camp Four um, really early in the morning, like not like even just before sunrise, but that people are starting to, to head back up. Yeah, and let's see, there is okay. So as the sun is up the next morning. Um, one of the hikers, Van oh gosh, Van Royan. He's the snow blind guy. He comes uh he comes across uh, this group of Korean climbers and their Sherpa. So this is just part of the Korean team. But they're hanging uh off the mountain. They're tangled in ropes. I mean they're 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 hanging it not often in the air, but because it's so steep, they're like hanging on a steep slope. They're tangled Uh in the ropes and they can't get out. Um, And there are pictures of this. Somebody, um, not, not anyone who came upon them, I don't think, but someone from camp four had a camera that like could zoom really far in. And so there's a picture uh, where you can kind of see these guys because they're, they're stuck there probably all night. And then they're, they're discovered in the morning. And the first guy who, who sees them is this snowblind guy, and he he kind of talks to them and um, he gives his gloves to the Sherpa because his gloves had come off during the fall, but then he has to keep going because he can't he's not in any shape to help them. Mm-hmm. So wait, uh, I and he claims that they told him that there was a rescue effort on the way. Although later they're like, we don't know how that they would have known that. But
0: oh so, wait, Jillian, yeah. So we're still talking about blind guy coming down in the middle of the night, right?
1: No, talking... sorry. It's he had he had walked through the night. It's there's light at this point.
0: So at least at least very, early,
1: very, very very early up. morning light.
0: So he's going back up.
1: No, he's not going up. He's going down.
0: Okay. So it has taken him the entire night.
1: Yes, he got a
0: little lost. Okay. No blindness. <laughs> okay. But he had oh, enough not he there. had enough eyesight still to be able to see these guys hanging there? Yes. Uh mm-hmm.
1: it's helped I mean partly they're in really bright red
0: right. posts okay. on a
1: white surface. That so. okay. But um you know, I'm not I'm not making a comment about his decision to leave like I he wasn't in any shape to help them. Sure. And yeah. it sucks. So he gave them his gloves and then he kept going down. Um, and he did make it down, um, I think, unless unless I contradict that later.
0: <laughs> That's a lot of characters, a lot of people to,
1: to yeah. focus on. It is. Okay, so later there up, are yeah, two up, more down. climbers. What was that?
0: I just said up down up down. The only yeah. twenty five people to keep track of.
1: <laughs> well, and at this point there are people coming up who end up not making. Okay. I'll get there. <laughs> so we've got two more climbers descending who come across that tangled group of people. Um, they think it is two... No, they think it is three Koreans and their Sherpa. Um, but one of the Koreans, I don't know if he died in the fall or died in the night from just exposure being tangled in the ropes, but he uh, he died. Um, so there are these two... This is kind of like the one of the big, um, like scandals slash controversies of of this story. These two guys come across this group, and they're working to get them untangled, and they're kind of working. I mean, I don't. It's just it's complicated, and they also you're on this steep slope, and also you're. They're all incredibly tired. They're moving really slow because they don't have very much oxygen. Um, so they're they're for like a, an hour and a half they're doing this and then one of them, um, an Italian guy named Jer, no I don't know his last name anyway he he apparently he suddenly goes up he starts hiking up and away uh, out of sight of the group and the other guy um, assumes. That he just went a little crazy. Yeah, it was McDonald. Sorry, Jerry McDonald. Uh, He thinks maybe that the other guy um, was like succumbing to high altitude sickness and was delusional and he just took off up the mountain. It's been known to happen before that people get delusional and think they need to go up when they really need to go down. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, that's just this assumption that he makes. We find out later that's not what happened. So the other guy uh eventually gives up trying to help the group that's tangled. Uh and he you know he decides that he's spent as much time as he can. He gets them into like a more comfortable position, but they're still tied up in these ropes and he he gives some gear to them, but they're still tangled. So he did radio well, yeah, he did radio down to camp four to, to confirm that there is a rescue team coming up. There's a couple people who are coming back up to try and help these guys get down. Good. So he leaves them there. Um, and we later find out that McDonald, um, because someone else sees the group on their feet walking and it's the two Koreans and their Sherpa and uh, McDonald. Um, unfortunately they like as soon as it's radioed in that they're safe there's an avalanche and it takes all of them away Hmm. so they go through all of that just to get stuck in an avalanche
0: and they got untangled but then and the person
1: who had reported having seen them alive and walking he ends up dying too but in a separate incident Hmm. um but he had radioed down to tell the folks at Camp 4 that he had seen them and they were fine. And the rescue team, he was trying to say the rescue team doesn't need to come all the way up uh-huh. to to help. But um, what ended up happening, I mean, one of the rescue team members continued up to meet them. He was also caught in the avalanche. Um, uh-huh. The other rescue team member was was below and off to the side, and the avalanche went, like, right by him. Uh, And he saw, like, he saw the people sliding by, but um, there's nothing he could do. Uh, He did, um, when some of them came to rest, he took some pictures, which is not um, disrespectful. I think it was just to have, like, the proof that they were there and that was who it was. Because he didn't, you didn't necessarily know exactly who was who from each team. uh, If you didn't know them really well, I don't know. Anyway, um, the pictures ended up being kind of helpful because there there was other issues where people were – like the story of what happened and how it all happened and how someone ended up dead was not clear because people had differing stories of what they saw. Well, and when
0: they all have altitude sickness or or at least, you know, it's messing with their brain anyway, I mean, they probably couldn't be sure – I mean, they think that they saw something, but, you know, their brain isn't working right, so –
1: that's true, too. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Um, okay, yes. Another Sarek falls in the rescue party. Doo-doo-doo. I just told you that story. The death toll is now 11. Huh. Mm. Um. There's One of the guys has a sat phone. He gets kind of lost. He wanders off. He has a sat phone, and he can call his wife, who's like, she's in like, um, the Netherlands,
0: I think. Right. And, like back home. Um, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but he can call her, and and he sa- he says, you know, I, I'm up here. I'm I'm alive, but I'm lost. And so she gets in touch with some other people, I don't know, people they know, who can track the satellite phone's exact oh, coordinates. Wow. wow. And then via additional calls from the sat phone, they're kind of like telling him where he is and coaching him.
0: Mm-hmm. down.
1: So awesome. that's kind of crazy. Um, sure. It did
0: take him... Yeah, I would definitely invest in a sat phone. I know, right? Sure. Yeah. But oh. don't call me. Don't call me, Jema. I'm not... I... You're not gonna triangulate my location not <laughs> and walk much. me down off K2. No, I too much responsibility, man. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. He did end up spending a second night in the Death Zone, and he is one of the only people ever in the world on any mountain um, that has spent has survived two nights uh, above eight thousand meters. Which is Is the
0: best one? Did he force himself to stay awake that whole time?
1: I assume so because he stayed alive, but I don't know for sure. Yeah,
0: I was just wondering because um, you know when you're in a group of people and you're uh, sleep deprived, and but you can keep each other awake. It's Mm -hmm. hard still, but at least you can you know eat like take turns or whatever and just be annoying to each. I don't know, but you just by yourself and it's, it's so easy to. You know just not, not, all of a, you don't even know you're sleeping, and then all of a sudden you bob your head and you're like, "Oh shoot, I was asleep yep. for a second, so yeah, definitely, did, but did he maybe end up suffering some possible maybe brain damage or anything uh, i <laughs> that's what really i guarantee question. I guarantee
1: he's got brain damage, but yeah. I don't think he ever ever had an actual brain scan- I mean they don't do that. They okay. just continue to climb mountains. Even I though... just would think, like,
0: even if even if you live through it, like, you've been deprived of oxygen. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that that happens to people when they have, like, I don't know, drowning or, you know, other accidents that mm-hmm. they their brain has been without enough oxygen yeah. for a while. So I would think that would affect his cognition. And I have read about a study
1: about mountaineers who, where they looked at that kind uh, of thing. Yeah. And it was, you know... It was an issue, but th- there's no, I have no idea, really. Sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have every confidence that he does have brain damage, but no proof. Um, he also had third degree frostbite on his feet, um, and he lost all of his toes on both feet. Mm. Um, but that's the last one. Everyone else made it down. So 11 people had died.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, all in all, four Saracs had fallen. Um, some of them as I was telling wow. you the story I may have said avalanche They it kind of was like the one causes the other sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, so that was it just turned out to be a, just a really really bad day on the mountain um, partially caused by their late start partially caused by miscommunication and poor communication and weird team dynamics
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and a lack of rope and a lack of rope
0: I mean, that's if you're, you're
1: gonna forget one thing, um, anyway, yeah. So that's what happened. It kind of in the aftermath. Um, there were a couple uh, helicopters that came into. Uh, I feel like they came into base camp, but then how did the guys get all the way down from there? I in think any I case, read, a I thought I saw a somebody
0: was at the. Fourth camp or something. You know, yeah. I think well, that no, that's it's right. a space
1: camp. But, uh, but yeah. Because helicopters base camp. can't fly that high. There's not enough air for them either. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like you really can't take a helicopter that high. Um, But anyway, a couple of the really poorly hurt people and rich people were helicoptered out uh, right away. And then. Um, I think just kind of for good publicity and to look good in the eyes of the world because this had become like a pretty big international story. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pakistani military started a rescue operation a couple of days later because uh, everyone else had – they still had to hike out, and it's like well, another week. It's like eight or nine days to hike oh, wow. out uh, from base camp like to a place where you can like get on a bus and ride back mm-hmm. to –
0: civilization. So is that in in snow the whole way or do they is no part no, no, of that no below Base Camp is below the snow line. Base camp is in
1: this is like at I would say it seems like it it seems to me like it's at the snow line. It, it definitely okay. was in the snow, but it was um there was lots of ground showing too. Okay. Uh-huh. And I definitely saw video and photos of their hike in and a lot of that was just on like kind of high like high altitude rocky dirt. Sure. Yeah, Um, Not that pretty, except that every time you looked up, there were giant, beautiful mountains around you. Mm -hmm. So anyway, eventually the Pakistani military sent in some helicopters to get everybody else out. So they could look like the heroes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then there just was some conflict about how the story got told. Initially, like the very first guy out who talked to the media, uh, like his story was, was like talking about how one of the guys had abandoned, had like gone crazy and abandoned everyone and walked up the hill. When in fact, they later realized like that hadn't happened at all. He had gone up the hill to rearrange the ropes so that he could help the Korean team out. But then he was later killed in an an avalanche. So Mm. he wasn't able to defend himself, but his family, um, back in Ireland, got really pissed, and they ended up flying down there to talk to the Sherpas to like get the real story. because <laughs> huh. so they were like, he would never abandon someone. Like that's insane. hmm So uh, I don't know. my brain wasn't come. fully
0: functioning. I, I mean, I know I'm with you. I'm like, that's, I don't, that's what a lot you of faith to put in someone who is not does not have enough oxygen. I mean, you know, it sounds like he, you know, it turned out he did. He was trying to do the right thing, but. Yeah. Like, that's... You know, the only
1: thing that really would have been helpful, well, and again, there's no one to tell the story except this one guy. But um, if he had communicated to someone that he was mm-hmm. going to, oh, okay, I'm going to climb up the hill and do this thing mm-hmm. with the ropes to save them, right. um, which was apparently a very good idea because it worked.
0: Yeah.
1: But the other guy just thought he'd abandoned him.
0: So, yeah, that didn't I'll work. Back didn't really to well. communication. So I just want to say, um, not to get on a, a soapbox or anything, but because we always say, you know, what can we learn from the episode, or or what are other resources, you know, or how to prepare for this disaster. Mm-hmm. What have learned? Bring a dang radio. Like, every <laughs> single person should bring a radio. I'm not going to back down from that. Everyone should bring a radio, and everyone should, communi- should communicate what they're doing. And that's, I'll leave it at that, but that's... Like, oh my goodness, I can't say that enough. <laughs> all right. I'm not sure it solves all the problems, but it would help a little. <laughs> true, true.
1: Um, what about don't climb dangerous mountains?
0: Well, but you could Especially start with that. One, but then what would you do with all your money?
1: Oh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Oh, there's just nothing else to do with it. <laughs> um, there. No one reached the summit of K two for three more years.
0: Wow! Whoa!
1: Disastrous day. Just the next two years. I mean, people kind of they tried to, but nobody could get to the top for the next three years. Oh, something else that I wanted to mention at the at base camp. Um. It smells bad, because there's a ton of dead people there, and oh. um, not just uh, like when people die on the mountain i mean it depends on where you die you I mean you might die and um you're like so high up that you're just like preserved flash frozen right you'll be there forever um but a little lower down and with if you're in an area where you know glaciers are moving or whatever um like it's not that uncommon for like limbs and things to like come out of the snow at various points yeah like, after a snow melt or something. um, And they're all, there's like this sort of, no, I don't know, shrine's not the right word, but there's kind of like memorial thing. Uh It's really just a bunch of rocks and some prayer flags. But that's kind of like, it's off to the side of the camp, but that's where they put all the body parts that show up, plus any dead people who were carried out um, down to the base camp. Anyway, apparently... uh, the wind's blowing the wrong way, it smells really, really bad at base camp. It sounds like a beautiful thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) I really can't, uh, you know, it's such a terrible story, and the idea of being cold and tired (laughs) does not appeal to me in any way. Their pictures from the top and video is Mm. absolutely stunning. I yeah. mean mountains, mountains for as far as you can see, and giant, giant Himalayan mountains, like craggy, awesome mountains.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they're some of the newest mountains in the in the world,
0: mm-hmm. so
1: they're they're especially right. crunchy. Yeah, these aren't some well, Appalachians. These are some some sharp teeth.
0: Yeah, I would say that we should probably post some of the pictures that they took to our Facebook page. Then okay. just... Our, our readers, our readers, our followers, mm-hmm. <laughs> listeners, um, unless you're reading the transcript of this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we don't what, have a transcript. Uh, I listen to all my podcasts through transcript, don't you? Yes. Um, tell us what resources that you went to to find more info about this.
1: Yes. The first... Resource is a book called Buried in the Sky, which is by Amanda Padawan and Peter Zuckerman, and that was published in 2012. They, um, Amanda was a friend of one of the Sherpas who died, and she was so confused by the fact that he had died and stories that she was hearing about what happened. Um, she was a mountaineer as well, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, she decided she wanted to look into it more and uh, Peter is her cousin who is a journalist so they worked together on it and uh, I mean they flew there and interviewed everyone and the cool thing about that book um, because there are some other books out there that some of the actual climbers had written and this is written by people who weren't there but did massive amounts of interviews but it really focuses on the Sherpas in particular Uh I mean obviously the other climbers are characters um, but everything is kind of told from the point of view of of the the Sherpas themselves,
0: um,
1: including some backstory about, you know, like how they got into being a Sherp like their childhood, like how, how they, you know, what their first hikes were like and how they got into the business and uh, interesting stuff like that. So that is a really good resource. And then, uh, oh, and thanks to my father, Bob Coleman, for <laughs> lending me the book. Uh, and then I also watched a documentary called The Summit. It was directed by Nick Ryan and that came out in 2012 uh it, you can rent it on Amazon Prime but I found a bootleg copy on YouTube <laughs> I'm not even sorry not even sorry. So that's a good one too
0: Awesome Well that was a really interesting story. Um I I think that uh like the variety that we've been covering lately but um you know since we've all done a fair amount of hiking and and grew up around some mountains, I think that was kind of fun to visualize, um, and also to know my limits, that I will never attempt anything that uh, dangerous. <laughs> I like this kind of story. I, I, I,
1: even though this is not a sport I would ever do, I can't get enough of reading these kinds of stories. So obviously, the, uh, Everest has a number of great, like uh, the, the deadliest day on Everest, et cetera. There are right. several of those out there as well, um, which I might do at some point in the future after after a certain amount of time has
0: passed. But. okay. Well speaking of that, we want to remind our listeners that if you have any specific disasters that you want us to cover, uh mountain related, ocean related, air related, fire related whatever. <laughs> um, feel free. We we want to hear what uh disasters you want us to cover. Um like we I said got before, a disaster
1: recommendation this week from a friend on Facebook.
0: Absolutely. that's awesome. Yep. And you're going to put it at the top of the list, right?
1: I'm going to discuss it with my (laughs) co-hosts and then put it on the list somewhere.
0: Awesome. So here's how you can submit ideas to us. You can do it by email at calamitypodcast at yahoo.com. You can also get in touch with us uh, via Twitter at podcast calamity is our handle. And then we've got a Facebook page if you want to follow us. Uh, It's a great way to know when the latest um, podcast has dropped. Um, that's just by searching Calamity Podcast. But, of course, we do want everyone just to subscribe. Um, so then you'll obviously all just um, – the newest podcast will get automatically downloaded onto your phone. Um, we've got the, face, nope, the website, which is www.calamitypodcast.com. And we've also got a Patreon page. Um, I just want to close up by saying uh, remember to tell your friends and family about our amazing podcast so that Yay. you get – listeners um we're really happy that we've got so many already and uh the more the merrier um so yeah merry christmas everybody
1: merry christmas
0: merry christmas all right thanks for listening until next time stay safe